Hello and welcome to the Empower Therapy and Coaching Podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah, co-host with my husband Lee. Together we are partners in life, love and business. Each show we will share insights and host interviews on relationships, therapy, emotional coaching, addiction, self-actualization and personal growth. So settle in and enjoy the show. Hello friends and welcome to this week's episode of the Empower Therapy and Coaching Podcast. Today I'm here with my wife Sarah and co-owner of Empower Therapy and Coaching and we want to talk about Sober Curious, a new course that Sarah has created. Sarah, what is a Sober Curious course? A Sober Curious course is an eight-week virtual community and course for women that want to explore their relationship with alcohol and get curious about um, any sort of patterns they've developed with alcohol, um, any sort of relationship, if they want to explore and get more honest and open about things that might be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, um, I created this course for those women. So tell me a bit more about that. Uh, what might they be getting uncomfortable with? Um, what's, what's a typical thing that you see in society and how we treat alcohol as a society? So I think if you are curious about your relationship with alcohol, there's a lot of fear that you are an alcoholic, um, that you might have to stop drinking forever, that you might have to go to rehab or AA. And so we, we just kind of we keep going, we keep drinking during the week, we keep um, ignoring our relationship with alcohol, we keep, um, we, we live blissfully in ignorance because to look at your relationship with alcohol and really get curious, it can be uncomfortable. It can be really uncomfortable. Um, and you know, if we tell our friends that we're curious about our relationship with alcohol, then you know, we're, we might be afraid that they would judge us or maybe think differently about us if we choose to drink a glass of wine with them. And so it really, it's a, it's a brave thing to explore in our, in our current culture around alcohol. Yeah, I know as somebody that doesn't drink much, I've had quite a lot of, uh, a lot of people's feelings projected onto me about, you know, my choices of not drinking very much. You know, common things I've heard in my life are, well, you're no fun because you don't drink, or you have to drink to be part of the gang, or, you know, you don't want to be with us because you're not drinking, you're not part of what we're doing, you know, you're not enjoying it, you're not joining in. And, and I got plenty of fun, and I enjoyed those social circumstances and those social situations. I, I just didn't need to drink to do that. So I'm kind of, um, the word curious, um, I want to dial down into that a bit more and kind of, I want to understand what you mean by that. So what I'm hearing is, can it, to you, curious is um, somebody who's not quite sure about their relationship with alcohol. And, and could I, maybe I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving some judgments here, maybe not quite happy with their relationship with alcohol. Is that what it means? Yes. So it... It means that you may have gotten into a pattern with your drinking. It means that uh, maybe there's some issues showing up in, in your relationships. You're picking fights. You're getting more argumentative after you've um, had a couple of drinks. Or when you wake up hungover, you might be more snippy with your kids. Um, you might just wake up feeling regret and shame or embarrassed about maybe something that you said the night before. Um, you know all the way up to some more serious consequences like 
getting a DUI or facing, you know, losing your kids. Like there's a very wide range of the consequences of drinking. Um, and you know, one of the things that I don't think we talk about as um, in our culture are the health consequences of alcohol. You know, yeah. We are, we're in California and people are on cleanses and going to yoga and hot yoga and spin class and, you know, wearing non-toxic eyeliner, you know, and then they're going for their happy hour and drinking their wine and, you know, the wine is alcohol and alcohol is ethanol and any amount of alcohol, whether it's a shot, a cup, a glass, 10 glasses, there is no safe amount of alcohol. You know, it's all poisonous to our body and that's why they call it intoxication because we we are intoxicated. It's toxic yeah. uh, for our bodies. And so I think that we don't often acknowledge or recognize the toll that alcohol has on our physical health. It's very interesting, isn't it, as a society to see how alcohol is treated compared to, say, taking marijuana or, you know, psychedelic mushrooms or something, you know, both of which have been shown to be less toxic than alcohol is, yet they're not, you know, in most places as, as uh, societally um, both available or kind of respected and, and, you know, just part of what we do in our daily lives. So, yeah, I'm quite fascinated by how we treat alcohol as a society. So tell me some some triggers that um, people might be experiencing who might therefore be then interested in your course. Uh, triggers may include stress. Um, I know sex is a big one, not being able to have sex sober. Um, also anxiety, if you've lost your job. I know a lot of people are just out of their routines with the quarantine right now. Um, you know, socially, I think it's really hard uh, when when you're not drinking to go out and have these kind of sober ga- or just gatherings where everyone's drinking and be the only one sober. Um, and There's so, a lot of judgment from the group in those situations, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. If you want to do an experiment, just go sober <laughs> to your next Thanksgiving dinner and just see how everyone responds to that. Everybody has their own reactions to it. So I think socially there's a lot of triggers there. Um, and it's everywhere you look. It's on every table at California Pizza. It's, you know, baby showers in little baby bottles, you know, as, as party gifts. It's, it's such a, a part of our culture that's woven into everything, every event, um, every, every sort of gathering. There's rituals around it everywhere, and it's a, there's just triggers everywhere. So... Tell me what you see the difference uh, between your kind of group and that movement and say something like, uh, you know, hey, hey, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, what are you trying to do that's different from what they offer? Yes. So I've, I've worked in treatment for seven years. I'm very familiar with AA and the treatment model and the disease model. Um, and there's a lot of beautiful community in those, in those realms, but there's also a lot of judgment and a lot of... Um, abstinence, abstinence culture, where if you want to explore your relationship with alcohol, you have to completely abstain and you have to get it right on your first try. Like how many, how many things do we expect people to get right on their first try? Yeah. You know? Um, and the judgment you have if you fail, yes. slip up, what is it called? Uh, falling off the wagon or relapse. And yeah, yeah, the judgment on people is huge, isn't it? It's a lot of judgment. Um, and then there's a lot of judgment in those 
like in the rooms of AA. So if you were to go to therapy or, you know, you found your recovery through kundalini yoga and there's a lot of judgment and, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, I've heard people in AA tell people that leave AA that they're going to die if they're not committed to, um, to working the 12 steps and that the only way to do recovery is through AA and if you're not, then you're white knuckling it. There's just a lot of language in that community um, that may not be helpful for the population that I want to serve with my course. Um, I want to work with the 90% of people that struggle with their relationship with alcohol that are not chemically addicted. You know, there's a huge amount of people in between non-drinkers and alcoholics. And I think AA and the recovery community really miss what's happening for the rest of the population. So let's, let's delve into that a bit more. Tell me that those kind of people, you know, who's going to benefit from this kind of course? Anyone that is open and willing and curious to, to explore, to look at the root of their relationship, why, um, why they're drinking, what it's doing for them. You know, we don't drink for no reason. We have lots of reasons from, you know, cultural programming, all of the, all of the, um, Stories were told about alcohol, how alcohol is treated in our family, um, how alcohol is treated in our communities and our fr- friendships. Um, Some self-medicating as well, I'm guessing. Self-medicating, you know, mental illness, anxiety, depression. Um, if you're going through a lot of stress or burnout, uh, this course is really for people that you know are kind of they're tired. They're tired of doing what they're doing and. It's, it's not working for them on some level, whether it's affecting their physical health or um, their relationships or their emotional health. We don't talk enough about how alcohol is a depressant and it also um, floods our entire body with cortisol and adrenaline, which makes our anxiety worse. Um, so it's, it's, for, it's for women that just want to take a deeper look and live more intentional lives. Such a catch-22, isn't it? That we drink because we're depressed or we drink because we're anxious or we drink because we're worried. And drinking will make us eventually more depressed, more anxious, and therefore more worried. Yes. Yeah, and and usually there's a a generous side portion of shame to go with that, you know, because you're drinking because you're stressed. um, And then you get more anxious and then you wake up and you've said something or done something and you feel shame and then it's hard to give up. It's an addictive process. You know, alcohol is an addictive substance. It's, it's interesting too. I always find that this is fascinating, the way that we um, treat people that struggle with, their, with alcohol. We put the responsibility on the drinker instead of acknowledging that this is an addictive substance, like with heroin or meth, right? It's, it's an addictive drug, and you know it, there's not something wrong with you if you're addicted to it. You're just addicted to the drug because it's addictive. With alcohol, it just means you're not responsible. You can't drink responsibly, and um, something inside of you makes you not be able to handle alcohol. Yeah. And that's a narrative that is completely generated by the big al- big alcohol companies, the 16 companies that um, own most of the world's alcohol companies. It's amazing the advertising, isn't it, as you mentioned earlier, that goes around alcohol. Well, we, uh, 
We have Elkhart baby showers. We have brunch that must have alcohol with it. We have, you know, an evening meal that must have a bottle of wine. And, and the, the connotations around that glass of wine at the end of the day, that this is going to make you feel better. Yeah, actually, studies show us that it's not going to make us feel better. So we might feel better for, you know, a few moments when we're first drinking it, but our sleep is going to be worse. So we're going to, you know, we're going to have a poorer sleep. Uh, our mood is probably going to be affected, you know, while we're drinking the alcohol and certainly after it and the next day. And we really don't, as a society, explore that too much. I think... You know, I, I agree with you that I really see that there's two ways alcohol is treated in society. There's alcohol is fun and it's great and you need it to socialise and, and you need it to have, you. it's good for you, you need it to have fun. It's good for you because it's going to relax you and you're going to become a healthier person because you're more relaxed. And then we have alcoholics. And there's, and I, I'm really pleased to see you kind of going for this middle ground of people who are like, hey, maybe I'm drinking a little bit more than I want to or, or is a bit healthy for me and I've fallen into this pattern of you know one glass of wine a night has turned into two glasses of wine a night now might be three glasses of wine a night and I used to drink just at weekends and now it started to step into my you know my daily routine and who can help them kind of get a better handle on why they're choosing to do this and then set what might be a more comfortable and um I won't say realistic, but I don't know if realistic is the right word, kind of more, um, you know, sustainable, safe level of alcohol consumption for them. So I'm curious, so why you? What, what makes you an expert in this subject? Um, you know, what's your journey with this? Why should somebody come and trust you to do this course? Well, I really created this course because it's what I needed when I started my, my journey with alcohol. Um, my journey with recovery, really. Um, I I really struggled with my relationship with alcohol, um, starting really when I was a teenager. I would I would intentionally like create situations where there would be drinking involved. You know, if my friends came over and we were getting ready to go out, you know, to the lake with our friends, there would be like, you know, beer involved in getting ready, and then you go and drink, and it just seemed like everything was always centered around drinking for me. Um, and then it got a lot worse when I went to college and, you know, it, it's such an experience that's embedded in the college experience. Um, my current Sober Curious course um, has a couple of college students and it's, it's just such a difficult um, environment to take care of yourself if you are working on, on changing your patterns around drinking. Um, that's when peer pressure really is at its highest and yeah. and as humans we don't really know how to deal with it at that stage we kind of haven't really discovered the power of saying no we're still used to being told what to do by other people by adults and then when we get in a group together you know I remember these days of like egging each other on like hey let's chug a whole yard of beer and you know let's do a keg and, and all of these kind of especially maybe more for men but you might say for women this kind of heroic drinking like he who can drink the most is the toughest or she who can handle her alcohol the most is kind of you know the most sophisticated there's some real kind of social status around our ability to consume alcohol yes and now women are are kind of uh gaining equality in terms of that like heroic you know ability to drink i think for me i i definitely i drank whiskey because 
it allowed me to compete with the guys that I was drinking with and I could drink a lot of men under the table and, and that made me so proud of myself. And it's cool <laughs> for a woman to drink whiskey. Yes, it's yeah. cool, it's edgy, it's rebellious, yeah. you know, and it makes me equal to you. So there's some kind of sub- sub- subversive element to that. But, um, you know, I, I got arrested, uh, I got a DUI um, the day before my mom's birthday and that always just feels like a significant part of my story because I just felt so horrible about myself and that I did that and I'm I'm guessing you must have felt a lot of shame around that so much shame so much shame and um I felt really alone as well like I felt like there wasn't anyone I could talk to about that experience and like none of my friends had gone through it I remember sharing with a couple of my friends that I think I should stop drinking but all of my friendships were based around alcohol, so nobody really supported that because it would mean, you know, they would lose a drinking buddy or, you know, we just wouldn't hang out anymore because that's all we did together. I, I noticed when you said that earlier, and I wanted to ask then, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you though, um, I, I really sensed that it wasn't the hanging out with the buddies, it was, that was the excuse to drink. Yes. And the buddies were the reason to give yourself, you know, the permission to drink. Because if you're drinking with friends, hey, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I don't have an issue with alcohol if I'm drinking with friends because that's what friends do. If I'm sitting at home and I'm down in five to ten beers a night or a bottle of wine, then I might look at that and reflect and go, ooh, I've got possibly a bit of an issue here. So it's that permission that the social drinking gives us the permission to take part in it and say hey everyone else is doing this so it must be okay yes yes and I was in a relationship with this guy who made his own beer and was like an artisanal alcoholic like craft beer Um, I remember this it, it was like voodoo donuts made a maple bacon beer and I, I remember specifically thinking, oh, maple bacon, I can have this with my breakfast. I can have this with my pancakes because it's okay because it's like artisanal and crafty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's just kind of how, how my, I created a world around my drinking. I just, created... just listen to the excuses that we give ourselves. Yes. To be able to consume something, you know, I, I do it with confectionery, I do it with candy, you know, like the, oh, just one little bit, oh, one little bit will be okay, and the 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 the, uh, the dance that we'll make with ourselves, the agreements we'll make with ourselves to make it okay. Yes, yeah, it's it's incredible the mental gymnastics that I could do to to justify drinking. I'm going to remember that. That's a good one. Yes. Maple and bacon flavored beer. So basically I'm drinking my breakfast. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I, I got arrested. I had to go to treatment. I had to do 90 meetings in 90 days all to satisfy the needs for the judge. So this was court mandated. It wasn't court mandated, but it was heavily recommended by my lawyer. (laughs) He was like, do this and you'll look better. And maybe you won't have your license gone for that long. Um, that did not work, but <laughs> it's all par for the course. And um, I, so I, I experienced AA. I experienced what it was like to be in treatment. Um, and I was also majoring in psychology and sociology in my coursework. And the information that I was learning about alcohol and recovery and the way our brain works and behavioral science wasn't really aligning with what I was learning in um, the rooms of AA. You know, there was a lot of um, 
just a lot of misinformation. And, and AA was created and all the literature was written in the 1930s by a white man, you know, to, um, to temper the egos of basically white supremacist men that their egos have gotten so big that, you know, they were, they were drinking a lot and they needed their egos deflated and um, they needed to kind of like be broken down to be rebuilt. And um, that didn't really serve me, you know, as a, as a woman that was struggling with alcohol. It, it, a lot of it didn't apply, and my ego was already deflated. I already felt horrible about myself. Like, I didn't need to be beaten down any more than I had already been built, um, yeah, broken you were, down. Yeah, you were beating yourself up more than they needed to beat you up. You, yeah. you needed to actually be... You needed a boost of confidence to realize you didn't need to drink rather than to be beaten up to stop you from drinking. Yes. And I also, I needed, I needed a program like Sober Curious to tell me that, you know, sobriety and abstinence is not the goal. It's not the achievement. It's about the journey. It's about getting to to know yourself and, you know, having self-worth and creating a life that you don't need to escape from. And I think that is like a huge missing piece in, in a lot of the more traditional recovery worlds. So something I want to clarify here, um, anybody that does your course, are they expected to stop drinking? No. Okay. And, you know, is there any judgment from you or the other members of the group on how much they are choosing to drink? Not at all. Not at all. I always ask for a willingness to be able to to show up and just be curious, just be honest. And, you know, the, the information that we go through each week of the course and the community that this course offers, I would imagine that it would be hard to continue drinking, knowing what you know, learning the strategies that you learn, being able to integrate some of the information in your life and still continue to drink, because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we do in sober curious is about like decoding and deconstructing and deciding, um, deciding what we want to do with the information that we're presented with. So, for example, um, we have this idea that alcohol relaxes you, right? And so have a beer it will calm you down yes especially for women have a glass of wine at the end of the day because you've had a stressful day and it's going to calm you down yes wind down yoga have a glass of wine and unwind you know there's a lot of language that we use and so you know if you have the habit of going going home and drinking a glass of wine to decompress from the day and you don't know that when you take that glass of wine you are flooded with adrenaline and cortisol that boost your anxiety, that make it harder to sleep at night, that um, that make your body feel like it needs more, and that it's a lot harder to, to choose whether or not you're going to have that second glass of wine, then you might think about that, that time when you're back from work, when you're trying to relax, you might think of, you might think, maybe I shouldn't have a glass of wine, Maybe I should have some kava tea and do some gentle yoga instead to get the same result. And so really it's about reprogramming these like unconscious Well, in fact, would thoughts. it be the same result or would it be, it'd be a different result, wouldn't it? Because the result from the yoga uh, and the, what was that? What was the other thing you said? 
Oh, kava tea. Kava it's tea. It's a relaxing, like, herbal tea. Okay, so, so you know, the, the difference would be taking your herbal tea and taking your yoga will actually physically relax you, whether yes. wine will not. So for the short emotional, um, you know, response, they may feel similar, but for the longer-term emotional response, you are going to get healthier. You are going to get more relaxed. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to break that cycle of even feeling that you need to have the wine. So I'm curious, Sarah. I'm curious. Here you go. I'm curious about your sober <laughs> curious. Um, I'm curious, do you have a desired outcome from the participation, uh, you know, from the participants in the course? Or is it just, you know, like, it is what it is? You know, what is your... What is your goal with the people that sign up for this course? I think the biggest goal is to create community where we don't feel so alone, where we don't feel judged, we don't feel shame. We feel like we can, you know, in between groups, post on on the the Facebook community, um, hey, I'm going to a friend's house, Um, there's going to be wine served, what do I do? Right? I want there to just be a community of solution, of non-judgment, of compassion and love, um, and just a, a really beautiful space for, for women to, to validate each other, to say, I've been there, this is what I did. Um, so but- to you, this is much bigger than just an eight-week course? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, will you be looking to kind of offer extra stuff in the future as this community built? I, I was actually thinking about this this morning about offering kind of long-term community support through things like Facebook or maybe like a WhatsApp group um, because the the connection and the community that's built in these circles is really powerful and I would love to have a wider community. So as I keep doing Sober Curious courses that, you know, the the result is this access to a wider community community okay so so tell me what somebody can expect from this course i heard you mention it uh, earlier that it's eight weeks kind of run through uh, you know just roughly what they're going to be experiencing as a participant in this course so expert guidance from a therapist um with a specialty in addiction medicine and addiction therapy um this you know this this looks like a behavioral psychology um habit change looking at you know trauma and anxiety and depression and really getting to the root of why you drink um, coping skills and healthy coping mechanisms to replace you know the the knee-jerk instinct to cope with alcohol um, and then community community support um, and that that is wraparound community support that can be found in our Facebook communities between sessions um, there's a lot of homework assignments and journaling and just a, a beautiful opportunity to integrate the information that's learned each week. Um, and it really, it, it takes you through core beliefs. Um, it takes you through rituals, breaking the cycle of addiction, um, looking at some of the cultural programming that, uh, that we absorb and you know, pick up along the way in terms of marketing and um, just a lot of messages from our our culture around alcohol, um, and then just you know being being in a community where you can you can um, have your experience validated by the community. I would imagine it'd be really powerful to just become much more aware 
of the subliminal messages that we're seeing all the time, like for them to be noted and then for us to therefore notice them and say, hey, this is what we need to look out for. Here's the, here's the pressures you're going to face out there in the world. Here's the societal pressures. Here's the advertising you're going to see. Note that this isn't about you. This is about somebody trying to sell you alcohol. This is about somebody trying to feel more comfortable with their own decision-making around alcohol and where your stuff can stop and you can recognize when it's about other people. Yeah, $2.3 billion a year goes into manipulating our minds to purchase poison. Yeah, <laughs> so, crazy, um, isn't it? Part of, part of um, the course is to learn to decode, deconstruct, and decide on some of these kind of subliminal messages um, and become more conscious about, you know, how these things are, are kind of packaged to us and how we can use our rational, logical brains to just debunk all of the, the BS that we get fed. Yeah, just to sidestep all of that marketing. Okay, so, so how do, you know, it sounds like an amazing course. I'm so pleased that you're offering this. I'm really excited about this for, you know, the local community and women in larger, uh, you know, kind of the larger community of women around the world. I think this is going to have a dramatic impact. So tell me, how can people sign up? How can they contact you? Yes, so uh, right now they can email sarah at empowertherapyandcoaching.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, at empower.therapyandcoaching. I'm very responsive on both my email and Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Really enjoyed uh, having this discussion with you, Sarah. As usual, love the work that we do and our relationship together. So thank you very much for listening and uh, hopefully chat to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like what we do, please engage with us at Empower Therapy and Coaching on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, or check out our website, empowertherapyandcoaching.com. Please tell us what topics you'd like us to cover, who you would like to see us interview, and any suggestions you have for the show. To work with us, email info at empowertherapyandcoaching.com. We look forward to hearing from you.